Hi, and welcome back to Ann Arbor AF, a podcast for folks trying to figure out what's going on in Ann Arbor. We discuss current events in local politics and policy, governance, and other civic good times. I'm Jess Lita, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Molly Kleinman, and my pronouns are she, her. Our fellow co-host Michelle Hughes is taking a hiatus to focus her energy on the Jeff Hainer recall effort, but the two of us are back to help you get informed and get involved. It's your city. Before we get started, we have a website, annarboraf.com. You'll find all the episodes, show notes, and transcripts. Thanks again to all of our supporters who donated to help pay for hosting and other costs. If you'd like to give us a few dollars, you can find us at ko-fi.com slash annarboraf. Today, we're talking about the next city council meeting coming up Tuesday, July 6th. We'll be touching on a few interesting agenda items, including transit-oriented zoning, rentals, municipal solar, and ICPOC, the um, Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. There we go. You got it. And (laughs) And offer some ways for you to get involved. A quick process note, we record this a few days before the council meeting, which means that there may be changes to the agenda between now and then. So we took June off and it was nice to have a break, even though council stayed really busy. So if you weren't following along, you missed a lot. We decided we wanted to give you a snapshot of what happened before going into the next council meeting. So it was housing palooza, especially (laughs) at the first meeting in June. It was so awesome. So first of all, uh, $1.5 million were appropriated from the affordable housing millage funds to affordable housing projects. So that's exciting. The ADU ordinance has been updated and modestly expanded to make it easier, faster, and cheaper to create accessory dwelling units in the city of Ann Arbor. People who know me know that I have been thinking about ADUs uh, to an inappropriate extent for years. To finally get these modest changes passed is deeply, deeply exciting. And also, hey, how can we continue to make it easy, fast, and cheap to develop new, modest, by the way, adorable housing? Uh, We also had Valhalla, which is a prospective apartment complex at South Main and Sio Church. They had their site plan approved, meaning that these units are pretty likely to move all the way forward. Pivoting from housing, there was a resolution establishing a new council subcommittee uh, intended to study the pilot program, pilot being payment in lieu of taxes. Folks who have been listening to the podcast for a little while, or at least since May, may remember that I was pretty critical of this subcommittee. I I feel like it's a waste of time and there's not a whole lot that they're going to be able to come out of this with in terms of actionable policy. And it's not even consistent with the city's self-stated policy agenda, but they passed it anyway. We also updated our service contract excuse me, with Recycle Ann Arbor for municipal resource recovery services. Essentially, it was clarifying who owns what equipment in terms of the city and Recycle Ann Arbor and the trucks and making some modest changes to, if I'm remembering correctly, how multifamily uh, 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 complexes are serviced. A few other things. One that I'm very excited about, the Comprehensive Transportation Plan update was officially adopted by the city. Imagine more than me is just cheering, yay! <laughs> uh, so that's a very exciting one. Uh, there was a resolution to request that council member Jeff Hayner resign from the Ann Arbor City Council. That was in response to the ongoing discussions that have been happening around the homophobic and racist slurs that he used. 
we passed the Crown Act, which was an ordinance to amend the code of the city of Ann Arbor to add a definition of to add to the definition of race that includes a prohibition against race-based hair discrimination. So this is something that's been passing in municipalities and states around the country, and Ann Arbor has gotten on board. And then um, Healthy Streets is happening. So you may remember that Healthy Streets, um, the budget allocation for Healthy Streets did not pass. That was when it was a sort of off-cycle allocation back in May, but then it was included in the annual budget allocation and it didn't need a supermajority, so Healthy Streets did pass. And then the, there was a contract to approve the work and that also passed. And so now we're in July and any day now, we should start to see installations of the neighborhood slow streets. The, the changes on major quarters will, will probably take a little bit longer because those are gonna be uh, permanent. So Molly, can I, can I pop a really random question on you? I have yeah. seen, on social media, a little bit of kerfuffle around streets being closed to through traffic, but it doesn't feel related to healthy streets. Is there anything you can tell me about that? Because I really don't understand. I also have questions about that because awesome. it seems that those are not related to healthy streets. It's not clear to me if it's related to nearby construction that's happening, if there's construction that's sort of um, prompting people to use neighborhoods as cut-throughs that aren't normally used as cut-throughs. The, the signs blocking them off, I saw one posted to Twitter, they look similar to the to what we'll see for the neighborhood slow streets, but they don't have any of the additional, like this is a neighborhood slow street, happy pictures of people walking and biking. It's just, you know, road closed to through traffic. And furthermore, what I saw was a tweet from the Ann Arbor Police Department about yeah. enforcing, like monitoring and enforcing these roads which is not the approach that the city is taking to the neighborhood slow streets. In fact, that was an explicit concern was that we didn't want to have these slow streets programs uh, produce increased inter interactions with police. So police, at least last year, were sort of actively not, um, not ticketing the neighborhood slow streets. So I, it, I, have, I really, I, I have the same questions that you do about what's going on with this. I haven't had a chance to dig into it um, to try and figure it out. For, for our listeners, I, I just want to let you know, if there's ever something I don't know and Molly or Michelle don't know it, I always feel really reassured. I'm like, okay, if those two don't know it, then it's okay to be confused. I Somebody probably knows something, but, um, <laughs> but it's I, I, haven't heard I haven't heard anything about it. <laughs> Got it. Um, All right, thanks. Yeah, sure. So it looks like we are ready to get into what's coming up this week, and we're starting with you, Jess. Yes, so it's uh, an interesting set of consent agenda things, but the only thing that I wanted to pick up is a grant application to DNR, the Department of National Re Natural Resources, for the acquisition of a piece of property along Broadway. The, the address given is 841 Broadway. Typically in Ann Arbor, when we talk about this, we usually call it the DTE site. This uh, The grant application is for up to $7 million. So the two reasons that I wanted to call this out is one, we rarely see anything on the consent agenda that has this hefty of a price tag on it. And to clarify, to repeat, the city council is not being asked to make a $7 million decision. We are applying for $7 million in grant funds to be able to purchase this land uh, and I also wanted to note it as um, another milestone in the evolution of this site and this area. The hope, when I was reading through this particular resolution, the hope is that purchasing it and the city owning it will create better connectivity 
in the elements of the B2B, between the B2B and the city, between residents of the city and the riverfront in that uh, specific area. So it, it makes a ton of sense and consistent with all of our planning documents, but that part of the city has been the subject of pretty intensive planning and development activity the last few years. And so I just wanted to note that. The next thing I wanna talk about is, it's so exciting, like I just, I need to take a breath for a second to sum mm -hmm. myself. So this is the public hearing and second reading of transit-oriented zoning. There's a lot in here. And I think what I'll do is drop a link in the show notes to directly to this resolution so that anybody who'd like to kind of get into the weeds of it, the nice thing is the resolution is really in English. So if you'd like to understand everything that the transit-oriented district is attempting to do, reading through this re resolution will give you a pretty good sense. The couple of thing, a couple of things that I wanted to call out. One, this district eliminates parking minimums and begins to institute parking maximums. We have not yet had our War on Cars episode on this podcast. Hmm. It's scheduled. We're all excited to get to it. But one of the things that we can't wait to yell at clouds about is eliminating minimum parking requirements. And this district does that. It's the first district to do that. So that's super exciting. Another thing that's worth calling out is that this district is not intended currently to be implemented across the city. It's designated as only four areas. One is a specific stretch of South State Street. One is along Washington Avenue. One is West Stadium and part of Maple Road. And one is Plymouth Road. So the idea behind kind of constraining where this gets implemented is this is a relatively new kind of zoning district for Ann Arbor. And the idea is let's see what this does. Let's see if there are any unintended consequences from the different definitions that we have in terms of distance from residential zones, in terms of maximum height, in terms of building use, in terms of the form-based code that, we're, that they're implementing. Let's try it out and see what happens before we kind of blanket implement this across the city. Molly, was there anything that you wanted to say or ask about this? A couple things. First, I wanted to just really briefly define parking minimums, which okay. are the idea that um, the city requires a builder to include a certain number of parking spaces per unit of housing. And or per square footage of office or retail. Yes, or per square footage. So it's this idea that um, the city knows better than the developer how much parking they need and the developer can't go below a certain amount even if they don't think that that parking is needed. And so what parking, eliminating parking minimums does is says, if you think you can build a thing and you won't need more than 10 parking spots, you only have to build 10 parking spots. And uh, it makes housing and other kinds of building a lot cheaper and it frees up land so that we can have more space for people and other uses and less space for storing cars. And so I, I, wanna throw, I, I know you have another thing to say about that. I just wanna throw in that non, not mandating parking does not mean parking won't be built. Typically lenders and insurers require parking as a part of the process of accessing funding. So there will always, probably always be parking literally built into most developments. What we're saying is we're not adding in another layer of requirement and bureaucracy to getting through a development. Yes. So Jess, this is a question that I have about transit oriented zoning in general. Um, something that I've been 
sort of seeing float around is this concern that transit-oriented zoning essentially concentrates higher density and therefore cheaper housing along these high traffic corridors that are less safe for kids to play and that are higher, like um, have higher emissions. And so the air quality is also worse. And I'm curious what you think about that sort of general complaint around transit orienting, oriented zoning and the specific way that Ann Arbor is trying to do it. That's a good question. And I think a reasonable question to ask, but I want us to look kind of closely at our specific situation. When we talk about the concentration of particulate matter, you know, uh, pollutants in the air, a lot of times what we're talking about are hugely dense cities or for example, Oakland, which is a port city and sees thousands of uh, container ships and semis, container semis coming in and out of the city every day. And of course those emissions are much less tightly regulated than our you know, residential or even typically commercial vehicles that we see in and around Ann Arbor. We're also not going to see a huge amount of density. There is, uh, when I was looking at the ordinance, the very tallest uh, building that's permitted is 300 feet, but most buildings would be between 55 and 75 feet, which is approximately five to seven or five to eight stories. And that's just not gonna be that dense, especially because people who live along transit corridors are often going to be car lighter than the rest of the city because they can be there. It's transit oriented development, right? So they're there because it's easier to not own a car, something that a lot of us I think are trying to get to anyway. So that addresses, I, I hope it addresses the concern that we're locating cheaper housing in an area that's riskier in terms of public health. I just don't think we have the kind of concentration that's going to make that a problem. The point and part of the reason that I'm saying that is that there are currently apartments being developed that will go over Blake Transit Center, what's called the Y lot, uh, which is 350, 350 South Avenue, I think, or, or South Fifth, excuse me. And even there, the uh, and they've they've done air quality tests over there, even there with all of the buses going in and out every day, thousands of people riding the bus every day, the air quality over there is no not distinguished distinguishably worse than any other residential neighborhood in the city. So mm -hmm. in terms of air quality, Ann Arbor is really fine, fine. Like I said, a question worth asking, but not a critique I think that needs to be levied in this case. In terms of it being safer for kids to be able to play around, that's again, I think a reasonable question to ask, but I don't think it's a reason to not build housing. I think it's a reason to look closely, more closely at how we're designing our streets and making sure that even our transit corridors are slow and safe. And we can do that with bus lanes. We can do that with healthier uh, pedestrian crossings, more bump outs, more frequent pedestrian crossings. Um, and, and just making sure that when we're designing a city, we're designing it for everyone and not just for the most expedient way to get around. I think that's one of the things now I'm going to go off on one of my favorite rants, but uh, just for a second, I think that's one of the things that really kind of gets me confused about a lot of planning processes and a lot of planning conversations. We talk so much about how to accommodate cars, and we really seem to abandon pretty quickly what it means to design for people. So I just wanted to say that, like, let's have transit-oriented housing, 
and let's continue to think about streets for people, even transit streets. I mean, you know, I'm on board with slower, safer streets <laughs> for everyone, everywhere. That's right. Um, yes. Awesome. So the next, the next item is another public hearing, and this is an ordinance to amend chapter eight, which specifically governs the Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. And these are some pretty, some minor changes overall, I would say to the ordinance that, that governs the uh, ICPOC, but important and things that the members of the commission have been asking for pretty much since it was created. So one of them is that it changes how appointments are made to the commission um, to require input from the commission in appointing new members. The, um, the way- That's really interesting. The, yeah, so the way commissioners are appointed is they're selected by the um, council members who are liaisons to ICPOC and also to the Human Rights Commission. And then they go to council and they get approved by council in a process that's similar to other commissions. But um, the argument is that members of the commission uh, are, they come from the community. They're sort of experts in various ways um, on issues around policing in the city. And they are gonna have some valuable contributions in recommending and recruiting new commission members. So that's one change. Another one is, um, so there's currently a rule that ICPOC can't review cases concurrently with the police department. And this adds an exception that says the chief can make an exception in cases that have quote, generated public interest. So I think the goal with this is to sort of speed up the timeframe in which we can have some community oversight for situations where the police, something has happened with the police that the community is aware of and concerned about. And we can have, we can have some of that oversight happening even as the case is still being investigated within the department. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see this. I, I, I think having blocking ICPOC from being able to review concurrently with the police poses some challenges. So I'm glad to see this being relaxed. My initial haven't talked to anyone about this to have a more informed outlook knee jerk response to this is I'm worried because for the same reason that I hate GoFundMe as medical insurance, because what generates public interest, like who gets to be the one that people care about? And, and is that enough? Is that okay? So again, I'm, I'm glad to see this relaxation. I'd like to talk to people more and understand it a little bit better, but honestly, I'd like to see that expanded. Yeah. And I also think it's concerning that it's up to the chief to make the exception. Um, yeah. the, there have been concerns since ICPOC was created that it does not have sufficient teeth. And these changes don't, don't give it, don't get much toothier um, there, but they are, as I understand it, these are improvements that were requested by the commission. Uh, and so I think these, we can think of these as a step in the right direction. Nice. It's nice when you can support the work of the people doing the work. So if the commission exactly. asks for it, I'm glad to see it move forward. Yeah. I, I also wanted to clarify, so the what I said about transit-oriented zoning and what you're saying about uh, these amendments pertaining to police oversight and ICPOC, they are public hearings. These are also second ordinance readings, so council will be voting on these on Tuesday. Correct. So this, there'll be an opportunity to call in where you don't have to sign up ahead of time. So you can call in in support of either or both of these. Um, you'll have to speak separately to each one. Um, it's not like general public comment time. And then these will, they'll be up for a, for a vote. Um, so 
hopefully we'll see them both pass. Speaking of things we want to see pass, there is an ordinance to amend uh, a little bit about how rentals are governed. So this has been discussed a few times at the council table the last few months, and it keeps getting pulled for amendments and further discussion. Quite frankly, I've been a fan of it this whole time, and I'm pleased with the amendment as it's coming forward. I do anticipate it to come forward for a vote in the next uh, couple of council meetings. So this is likely to be a first reading, uh, and, and I don't see any more amendments coming through. Maybe there will, I don't know. But that means that it would be up for a second reading later this month. So this particular amendment requires landlords to communicate the terms of a subsequent lease no later than 180 days and gives tenants a, a right to renew their leases within 210 days. And basically, oh, and it also defines reasons and exceptions for just cause for not renewing lease and prohibits a landlord from entering the premises to show them to prospective tenants until 210 days has passed. Essentially what this is doing is saying that tenants have a little bit of time to live in their, you know, apartment, their house, you know, whatever it is, before they have to decide, am I going to re-up my lease or lot or not? And landlords are not allowed to show the property before the, or while the tenant is making that determination. That's not currently the case right now. Right now they can, you know, if you move in in August, a landlord could potentially start showing it in October. And this pushes it uh, back to, I forget what imaginary timeline I came up with, but I think it pushes it back to February or March. So it just gives you a little, as a renter, a little bit more breathing room, which is nice. I thought it was December is the current, because there was, there was already- oh, an you could be right. I think it's December, um, and that that was the first attempt by City Council to uh, to give renters a little bit more time because it used to be basically yeah you had to sign almost immediately. December was an improvement, but um, it sounds like a lot of uh, especially like uh, the union, the graduate student union, has been pushing for some of these renter protections, and so that's where this came from to to find and I th there's been some attempt to find a middle ground right there was the original version of this pushed it even farther in the future so, something like that yeah um but i i am glad to see that tenants have really been heard in this process and if anybody from geo is out there listening thank you thank you thank you thank you for participating in city politics and for making this better from one renter to many more i really appreciate your work so this next resolution is to set an ethics, so this is DC1, and it's a resolution to set a, an ethics rule 12 hearing regarding a complaint for reprimand. And so this is basically a process step regarding the ongoing issues with Councilmember Hayner. Um, the administration committee reviewed a complaint against Councilmember Hayner for using racist and homophobic slurs, and this resolution will say that now the full council is going to hold a hearing about the complaint. So this isn't making any sort of decisions about the merit of the complaint. It's just saying, okay, now we're going to have a hearing about it. And then next up is DC2, which is you, Jess. That's me. Yep. I was just, I was thinking a little bit about the hearing and the, the process. 
one of the things that surprised me about governance when I started paying more attention to it was how slow everything was. And I remember thinking, and I still think this sometimes, I remember thinking, God, this is so stupid. Everything could go <laughs> so much faster. And that's true, kind of. But also, I do appreciate the, the diligence that a real, that a good process requires that you have to talk to group A and group B before making a decision with group C. So I was, I, I was just reflecting on that real time, which is not super fun for you guys, podcast listeners, sorry, but I was just ruminating on that and, and glad to have come to a slightly more patient place about it. Yeah. It's yes, definitely I, a drawn out, it's a drawn out process, but I do think that it's, it seems that there's really some care is being taken around making mm-hmm. sure that all the steps are followed. That's right. And in this case in particular, where there's a danger of politicizing a reprimand against a fellow elected official, being cautious, but also listening to the people in our community who have been harmed by this language and and responding to that harm. I, I just, I really appreciate how this process is moving forward, even though it feels glacial and confusing. I feel that way about a lot of governance stuff, actually. Hmm. What doesn't feel glacial and confusing is DC2, which is a resolution to approve essentially a solar array in conjunction with Pittsfield Township on the Wheeler Center, which is our landfill. And I just am excited that we get trash solar. Like, yay, good for us. That's my whole comment about this resolution. Yay. <laughs> uh, yes. Yay, solar power. I feel like this week <laughs> of all weeks, it, it feels good to see the city moving in the direction of um, some sustainable energy sources. Yes, it does. Moving on to DB1, the resolution to approve bylaws of the Council of the Commons. Uh, As a reminder, the Council of the Commons is intended to be a sort of commission type body dedicated specifically to the parking lot next to the downtown library, the famous library lot. Uh, the subject to of, of Prop A several years ago, there was going to be a big building there. Instead, there was this resolution or this um, proposal to require the city to keep it as a quote unquote park forever. But so far, several years later, it's still a parking lot. And the this is supposed to be a step in the direction of uh, making a park happen. Uh, I would say that we're in agreement over here that this is all just a big politicized waste of time and resources and having city staff uh, support it. So (laughs) at the same time, we're feeling like, you know, this really should not be a thing that exists. It does exist. And also there, I think that there are some issues with how it's being composed. So this resolution creates the Council of the Commons. We can think of it like a commission. And it, like other commissions, it sort of lays out who the membership should be. And there are member, there are representatives from the Parks Commission and from Planning Commission, four members of the members at large, members of the public. And then the thing that is really bothering me about this is that there are four seats that are to be appointed by these two small insular groups that basically promoted Prop A from the beginning. They're pretty much the same set of people. One of them is like the Library Commons council and library green conservancy yes library green conservancy and what's the other one the initial i can't get all of the words in the right order but it's the initiating committee of the council of the commons or something like that right 
neither one of these are official city bodies in any way. These are both small private organizations. The members are mostly old, white, and rich. I'm saying it. And they get to choose four of the people who sit on this commission. That is not how other city commissions work at all. The Transportation Commission has seven members at large. We've got a couple of reps from different relevant commissions, disability and planning. We have one seat that's held for an owner of a transportation-related business, which is still pretty broad and still ultimately determined by the city who gets to be in that seat. And then a bunch of people representing different relevant city entities like AAATA and the schools. But these two organizations are not, they're not city entities. They're not representative of the city as a whole. They're, and it's just guaranteeing basically that this city commission supported with city resources is going to be the same small insular group of people um, with a very, very narrow view of what could potentially happen on this parking lot. And I, I think part of my criticism, Molly and I are, are deeply critical of this commission for mostly distinct reasons. One of the reasons that I don't, I, I don't approve of this committee, I just really don't think that it should exist is because this is an enormous intensity of resources to sink into a single site. When Molly's talking about the Transportation Commission, she is talking about a network of infrastructure that covers the entire city. Same for parks, same for planning. The DDA covers the downtown district, which is, you know, our greatest uh, intensity of residents and businesses in the whole city. In general, with a few very small exceptions, the, the, the committees and commissions that we have, the energy commission, the, I'm, I'm just trying to go through in my mind, the ones that we have, the housing and human services, these are intended to serve the community, to have an entire committee based on one specific piece of land is not just insular, it's myopic. It's myopic because you cannot plan for a single site without planning for its context. So we have an incredibly insular group of people working on an incredibly myopic charter. You can see why we're just like, we took this one thing, which is the approval of the bylaws and we were like, nope, we wanna say something about it. We just don't feel like this intensity of resources should be suck, sunk into the, this one particular issue. It's yeah. not even an issue, this one particular piece of land. This one location that is one location. a parking lot. It's the, yes. roof, it's the roof of an underground parking garage. That's right. Parking on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's what I, I, apparently this is not a joke that everyone knows, but the thing I was saying about this, this resolution, the food was terrible and the portions were so small. It's this idea that like, it's bad, but also there's not enough of it. So in this case, there shouldn't be, <laughs> there shouldn't be a this and what they're doing is wrong. Um, <laughs> so that's how we feel about it about That's this right. particular resolution, but mm -hmm. probably it will pass is my guess. Um, ah, so now that we've got that off our chest. <laughs> That, that's really it for this council agenda. There's a few more things on there. Feel free to take a look at it, uh, but it's it's not nearly as intensive as the two meetings in June were. So it's a nice way to kind of get back on the horse, both for council and for us getting back into the podcast. 
I did want to take a moment to thank everybody who gave us feedback in our first ever survey. We had it open for a little bit over a month and we heard from a bunch of you. Thank you so much. We're still going through the responses, but I just wanted to really appreciate every single listener who took time to let us know what you're liking and what you think we can do better. We agree with you on pretty much everything. And it was also fun to hear which episodes have been your favorite and what you'd like to hear more of. So just really thank you so much for that. And thank you as always to those of us, uh, those of you who have supported us on our coffee. If you'd like to shoot us a few dollars to cover our podcast and web hosting, you can find us at www.ko-fi.com slash Ann Arbor AF. And that's it for this episode of Ann Arbor AF, where your co-hosts, Jess Lita and myself, Molly Kleinman, holding down the fort in Michelle Hughes's absence. And thanks this month to producer Jack Jennings. For questions about this podcast or ideas about future episodes, you can email us at annarborafpod at gmail.com. Get informed, then get involved. It's your city.